All right, is this thing on? So, let me get Brian on. All right, welcome to episode three of the Talking Stick. While I get ready to invite Brian on, uh, we launched or released the face mask 2.0. You can tell them about that, and the scarves, and the headbands, and the 10%. Once you log on, is the Talking Stick for 10% off as you hear this right now. So we're waiting for Brian Burkhart, Dr. Brian Burkhart. He's the, I got my braids on for Brian. You'll see pretty soon. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, he better be braided up. You All right. See if he's logged on. All right, Brian, I'm waiting on you. Yeah, so we released some um, infinity scarves, some new headbands. Did we release them? Yeah, they're okay. really up. New headbands and um, uh, can't forget about the mask, the mask, uh, the two point They're they're shaped up a little differently than the uh, other ones that we had listed on there. But I was more excited to finally do some scarves and some headbands because we hadn't. Um, uploaded some new ones and um, that was our main thing like at first before the mask came along unable to join him we carried scarves we always carried scarves and headbands and um yeah and cardigans too which i'm trying to work to get those braids hi brian well, you you got the braids i'm gonna leave it for you yeah, come on. it'd be the overkill it'd be overkill <laughs> Braid up while we go go yeah, on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Brian, man, he he knew me and Yendi before we were married, before our relationship. He's one of the yeah. the three pillars that <laughs> downfalled my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, huh? That's right on. You think about it. Yeah, <laughs> you and Scott and the other yeah. one. Good, good times, yeah. Yeah. So, um, where are you at right now? Um, I'm in uh, Oklahoma, Norman, Oklahoma. Still over there, huh? Yeah. So, we're trying to hit up every state so far. Nice, nice. <laughs> no, nice. I don't know. I was kind of like, hey, we <laughs> might as well go for it, man. Yeah, you might as well. But there's lots uh, of people around all over the place. Yeah. All right, do your introduction. How's Sarah? She's good. She's in her uh, Spanish class right now. Oh. She does this thing every, uh, every, hi. Mm -hmm. I saw you at the powwow. <laughs> you don't remember me probably because it was just one time you saw me. <laughs> that was it. I've been gone out now here. She's all big, huh? Yeah. <laughs> she's taking a Spanish class actually with uh, um, a person who used to teach Spanish at CSUN. Oh. And now she does it online. Um, oh. uh, Serena is her name. Yeah, uh -huh. Serena. She teaches. So she does this Spanish class with her every Tuesday night. Cool. But we're hanging out here. We got we bought a house in oh, Norman. We're kind of like putting down roots for, for once. Ooh. Like, you know, Aww. took a while. Took a while for me to put down roots, but better <laughs> late than never. <laughs> 
right, so let me just go ahead and start it off. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in on episode three of The Talking Stick. My name is Yandy Nito. I'm Tachiquel Maya from my mom's side, and I'm Mexican from my dad's side. John Nito, Tuli Rivioca, and Yanessa Nito, Tuli Rivioca, and Mayan tribal member. And Jackson Nito over here, doing whatever he's doing. Okay. <laughs> and today's guest is Dr. Brian Burkhart. Go ahead, Brian. Introduce yourself. Hello. Oh, see, oh, Brian Burkhart, Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. Um, back, back home here in uh, Oklahoma. I've been kind of all over the place. Uh, I grew up on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. That's where I was born and, and grew up until I was uh, um, in college and then kind of went to college all over the place. Ended up out in California, my first teaching job out of um, college. I graduated from Indiana University. And then I was out there for a good long time, had a lot of good experiences, met good folks like Johnny and Indy. Um, <laughs> taught at uh, Cal State Northridge for quite a few years, was director of Native Studies there. And now back in, uh, back in Oklahoma, closer to home, not really on Cherokee Nation land, kind of, you know, a little on the, the, the border of that in kind of uh, the um, uh, Shawnee, the Shawnee reservations here, the um, Potawatomi, um, the, the land traditionally here is uh, um, Caddo, Kickapoo, Wichita, affiliated tribes, you know, also the Osage, you know, are the kind of traditional people here in, in Oklahoma. And it's uh, good to be back home. Good to see my relatives out there in California, even if it's just through some uh, video, you know. Mm -hmm. That's how we do it these days. <laughs> Completely normal now. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, another that's day. the norm, though, huh? That's yeah, the norm yeah. Now, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Brian, too, he always wanted to go home and teach. Oh, you. You got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Teaching yeah, what are you teaching now? American Indian Studies still? Um, I'm actually in the philosophy department, uh -oh. but I do a lot of stuff with uh, Native Studies and, you know, um, on their on their uh, affiliated faculty and, you know, on, on different committees for them, kind of, you know, trying to, it's it's a little different here, you know, obviously, than you, you've been out here in Oklahoma, you know, it's a little different than, uh, <laughs> like, in the Cal State system in terms of... Oh, hell yeah. School, you know, like there's there's a lot more native folks out here, obviously, 39 mm -hmm. tribes here in the state of Oklahoma. And, you know, there's a good percentage of students in, the, you know, at OSU, at OU, at Tulsa, all the schools around here have a lot of native students. So it's a little more, it's less of just a little kind of tiny pocket of things, you know. There's a lot of people across the university in English, in sociology, and like the health departments, you know, all this kind of stuff in the law school that are doing kind of, you know, stuff in Native studies sort of broadly, you know, so. The multicultural kind of, stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so Brian was one of my teachers, taught me how to be Indian at yep. Cal State University Northridge. <laughs> Taught you how to braid those braids yeah. up real well. That was so perfect. <laughs> that was that so funny. Failed you know, that it, class, of course. Yeah, yeah. I used to braid my hair every day, you know, going to school and teaching. And 
and and students, particularly, you know, men, right? White mm -hmm. men, they don't know anything about this. You know, they're just so like, how do you do that every day? How could you possibly <laughs> braid your hair? <laughs> like, well, first of all, obviously you're not a woman, right? You know, like you yeah. just have no idea how you take care of your hair, uh, and you're also not, you know. You know, Indian man, right? You know, it's just kind of yeah. a part of part of life. You know, taking care of your hair. You know, and uh, okay, thank you. So, I always always get a big kick out of them. Sort of just like, how do you? How long does it take you to braid your hair every day? <laughs> I'm like maybe a minute or two. Like, what do you? Like, about about eight max. Yeah, <laughs> my hair's acting up. Yeah, it depends. You know. It's not like an hour-long process or something, you know. It's like, but do you still have that? Okay, I remember uh, one of your students doodled you. Oh, <laughs> they drew yeah. you up and, and they and they had your braids on. Yeah, I try. I actually had that on my on the door of my office in the other in our other house. I'm trying to think where that is, but oh. yeah, I still have it. I kept it. Oh, you know, I kept it. I had it on the door of my office in our other house. I wish that if. Where I'm still doing some work here on this, you can't see, but over here, like, you know, I'm building oh. some shelves over here on this side. This is kind of the upstairs office doing some work in, nice. in our house, but I don't have it finished, so I don't have it all kind of tweaked out for. <laughs> but I used to have that, you know, just some some student in that class. I don't remember what it was. He just sat back there and, and doodled me and he gave me, it was such a perfect cartoon version yeah. of me. <laughs> still yeah. I still show it to people. Yeah. I show it I show it to people, you know, like they're like, that's you, you know, <laughs> <first> spot on. <laughs> if I was a cartoon, people would recognize me, you know. <laughs> like I saw you in a cartoon. <laughs> so <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one thing we wanted to talk about well, you know, my favorite subject is always tribal laws and yeah, yeah. mixing business laws, too. Just the scheme of the little mouse game. That's what I like yeah, to yeah. know and learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the scheme of it, of saying the tribal side, there's a lot of different tribal sides within tribal sovereignty, tribal mm. laws, different code and ethics of what you're in. It's like us, we're public, public law 280 state and yeah. covered in the state and covered federal. I mean, we've got certain jurisdictions over here um, to a certain standard within each state. So tribal sovereignty is something that our legislators don't really know and understand. So that would be a good source to start at. What established yeah. tribal sovereignty? And we could touch about that because I know you put it in a great way with educational wise and make, understand yeah. which is something that we kind of need to establish and teach right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot in that context is the, you know, the appointment of uh, Deb Hallen as mm -hmm. the, the Secretary of the Department of Interior and that, you know, that oversees the the BIA and this whole kind of structure of what happens in the federal government in relationship to tribes as sort of sovereign nations, you know, people don't really under, understand that, you know, like, where did yeah. that come from? Why, why is that there? You know, why is it so significant, you know, for example, that, that, that a native woman you know, Pueblo woman is, you know, becoming the secretary of the Department of Interior. Big well, deal. Yeah, but it's, a, it's, <laughs> really a, it's big a big deal. deal. It's a big deal in a way that people don't understand. If you don't understand this mm -hmm. kind of structure of what so tribal sovereignty is and the kind of attempts to kind of chip away at it through various, you know, laws and 
Supreme Court cases and so on that kind of just try to take more and more mm -hmm. pieces away from it, you know. And so tribal sovereignty, I and mean, if you think about it in the most basic sense, it's just that, you know, indigenous nations, tribal nations are sovereign nations. You know, there are nations in the world on the political stage, just like the United States, Canada, you know, Mexico, you know, wherever it is, you know, there are indigenous nations that have existed prior to that and continue to exist, you know, in, you know, in a thriving kind of way, at least in some kind of way, sort of more or less thriving, depending on kind of stuff that, you know, the, the, the federal government has done oftentimes, right? But those, they're, they're nations that exist and their relationship to the United States is a nation to nation relationship. Mm -hmm. That's sort of sovereignty. Yep. Sovereignty is the status that a nation has you know, vis-a-vis -vis another nation, right? Government sovereignty to just government means, to government. Right? Yeah, exactly. Sovereignty just means, you know, it's like, it's like comes from the notion sovereign, like a king. Mm -hmm. But what it really means in this context is that you as a nation are the only ones that decide you're a sovereign over yourself, mm -hmm. right? Nobody else is your king, mm -hmm. right? You're the king of yourself. You know, Don't get that confused with sovereign citizen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You'll get yeah. That, oh, that crazy <laughs> stuff. Oh, oh, don't even go down that road. I had a, yeah, I had a friend who was totally into that. All the you don't write your name. Uh, you know, it's we'll get a whole bunch of people on here asking questions about that. Well, well, well the people start coming after us. So we start talking about that stuff. They're like, yeah, Benjamin Franklin, the Postmaster General, is the kind of real head of the world government, I, you know, I don't know, whatever. But might anyway, right. you know. Might be right, though, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Move on. So, so sovereignty is a status that, you know, that, and sovereignty is what is required for treaties to take place, you know. Mm -hmm. You can't make a treaty with another person. You can't make a treaty with McDonald's, you know. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of entity it is, an individual person, a family, you know. Treaties are made between sovereign nations, Right. It's like the way you make a compact with a nation, like you, you make a compact with uh, the bank when you get a car loan to buy your car. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a that's a compact. You're signing this mm -hmm. kind of uh, you're signing this compact. Right. And w nations, how they sign agreements is through treaties. Right. That bind mm -hmm. the two nations together, you know, as sort of independent sovereigns through this signed, you know, um, treaty or compact, right? Mm -hmm. And so the United States sort of entered into all these treaties with, with native nations, particularly, you know, on the heels of the Revolutionary War, right? Because yeah. it needed all these native nations to kind of recognize it, because at that point, it was kind of a, a, a terrorist outlaw state kind of, mm -hmm. you know, had broken away from the from Great Britain, and, you know, kind of in a very violent way. And so signs 300 and something, I mean, that's the, the, the total number of treaties is more than that. I'm trying to remember the number that was signed sort of originally, but just signed treaties left and right with right. as they many were, native- They followed anyway. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another subject. Yeah, yeah. So they've signed all these treaties and that was a part of kind of establishing themselves in the world stage as, you know, as legitimate, you know, and then all this, all this is done and flash forward from, you know, this is the, you know, 1700s, flash forward to the early 1800s, you know, a few decades later, you know, 
native tribes have pretty much accepted the kind of relationship with the United States, at least those that are kind of on the border of them, you know, mm -hmm. Cherokee Nation, all the kind of, you know, um, Iroquois Nation, Shawnee Nation, all these people had, don't, didn't have standing armies at the time. They're like, oh, we're all good. We're kind of hanging out. we got these treaties. And about that time, we decide that, well, we don't need these treaties anymore, right? We don't need these native nations anymore mm -hmm. to kind of help hold us up. We can kind the war's of start, over. <laughs> yeah, we can start acquiring all this land. So the big court case that comes around that time is 1823 Johnson v. McIntosh case, mm -hmm. what, what basically establishes in the mind of the legal construct in the yeah. United States that all Indian land, the doctrine of discovery, mm -hmm. right? All Keyword. Indian land Keyword. belongs like, to <laughs> yeah, belongs to the United States by the act of discovery. And this is really important for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and Deb Howland. This kind of comes into all this, right? Mm -hmm. Because once that's decided in 1823, the Indian land title concept from this 1823 um, Supreme Court case, that all Indian land belongs to the United States, that Native tribes are just kind of like what they have called Aboriginal title. They're kind of mm -hmm. squatters, you know, on this land that really belongs to the United States, the United States can be nice and sort of let them stay there if they want or whatever. But the land really belongs to the titles held by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And this is important, right? Because where mm -hmm. is the Bureau of Indian Affairs? In the Department of Interior, mm -hmm. which is what? Which is the U.S. government's land department, mm -hmm. right? It's what manages federal <laughs> land, parks, you know, Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Indian Affairs, awesome. right? Because all it's really all about the ownership of all this land. And it just happens to be that Bureau of Indian Affairs, all the other stuff that gets thrown in there, the Indian Health Services, Indian Education, all that kind Natural of stuff. Natural resources, goes, forestry. Yeah, mm -hmm. goes along with the government's owning of Indian land, right? But man, can you imagine that whole aspect, though, that whole cabinet, how it now has a native leader on yeah, it? Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's for, sure. for the first time, but that's very cool. But keep but in mind, though, McIntosh had tribal land interest in himself, right, during oh, that yeah. court time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> did. He did. So he I mean, all those dip, cases though. were all those cases were really, you know, convoluted just in uh -huh. terms of the um, legislative, you know, structure or the legal structure. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like it was decided with this bias. It was also decided oftentimes fraudulently kind of mm -hmm. with kickbacks and, you know, kind of uh, swindling that was corruption collusion, things like that were happening in these in the court cases. But, you know, what's so important, you know, about Deb Howland sort of being in the um, being in this kind of chair of this sort of this government structure that's supposed to oversee, you know, um, Indian people through the other big Supreme Court case, Cherokee Nation versus George, 1831, mm -hmm. where the government decides through the Supreme Court case that they also own Indian tribes, right? Mm -hmm. The first one, 1823, we own Indian land. 1831, we own Indian tribes. They're like baby sovereigns, mm -hmm. right? And so this is kind of where we start, as um, Freddie's saying, you know, so the <laughs> definition of sovereignty has been tainted and distorted to accommodate the U.S., right? Yeah, it's sort of like this is the the true. We're, sort not, of we're not even there yet. We're still explaining the base right now. Like, yeah. yeah, getting a point. 
you're kind of chipping away. These are some of the first big chips where you're like, mm -hmm. no, the land doesn't really belong to you. Now you're not really even fully sovereign. You're like just baby sovereign, as I call it. Kind of like mm -hmm. how you might think of like your child is yours. It's a, it's kind of a runs around and does things and plays with toys, but it doesn't really get to just like go outside and go down the street and get <laughs> a job. And, yeah, it, you know, it belongs to you. It's like a baby sovereign. It's, it's got a certain <laughs> amount of dependence, but it's not really fully a human being that has its own true sovereignty in the mm -hmm. original sense, right? And so these are kind of examples of chipping away at this. So this whole structure is designed to deny you know, the full status of Indian people's relationship to their land as sort of true sovereigns, you know, so like having someone who is a citizen of a tribal nation, you know, with tribal land, mm -hmm. who's now heading this, it's kind of like turning it inside out, right? Because yes. the whole thing was designed to deny mm -hmm. the sort of full status of people with property and so on, all these things to Indian people, right? And also give us the runaround loop because we experienced it too with our move. Yeah. You got to oh, go yeah. there. You got to go there. You got to reassess this. You got to do this. Oh, that mm -hmm. person's not there anymore. What the? <laughs> I want yeah. to redo it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just it just gets you know that, but like seeing that larger superstructure even from the beginning, the way it's designed to chip away, and then you go down smaller and smaller to like something like public public law 280 you're saying and then like little things on there you start to see the the picture of it right if you're stuck mm -hmm. in a little thing where you're just like we're trying to do this thing and we talk to the department of interior and they're like you've got to do this and you got to do that and we're just frustrated we just see it in this little microcosm mm -hmm. then we don't see this is all a piece of this bigger thing that was denied to you know, set up to deny our kind of rights to our land and our rights as sovereign nations mm -hmm. you know and so it's not just a, a little bureaucratic thing it's kind of a bureaucratic thing built on a bureaucratic thing built on another one all the way back to these early 1800 cases all designed to kind of chip away at our our ability to make decisions for ourselves and and yeah. decide our own futures with you know our own lands and our own way of life and our you know everything that makes us who we are you know but one catcher too, fast forward to now within the past years is, you know, are we really sovereign? Because A, if we or us tribal leaders mess up or can't organize our own government, run around, BIA steps in and our sovereignty could be up on the line, you yeah. know, and then we'll get our sovereignty revoked or meaning our tribe won't be established anymore or, you know, we won't be able to do certain things and they'll pull our sovereignty no, yeah, so, yeah. so our tribal leaders have to be capable to do those jobs or what's going to happen? The adults going to take over for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll lose our land. There's plenty yeah, of because like it's that. the oh, yeah. yeah, it's the the way in which sovereignty is sort of limited in this context by it's being recognized mm -hmm. by the U.S. government. It's kind of like you know, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Mm -hmm. Well, of course it does. But in this case, it's like if if the white man isn't there it doesn't make a sound right you know it's like <laughs> yeah. that's the you know like we've got to show to them to their standards mm -hmm. that we're sort of maintaining our kind of integrity right because that's yeah. but it's all a part of this recognition i mean you wouldn't yes. say that like imagine you went you know somewhere somewhere in the world you know on you know there was there was a, a nation on an island somewhere right Mm -hmm. And that nation, you know, disappeared for a while. Say, so kind of just went into total collapse, 
for whatever reason. And then it kind of built itself back up, you know, and then it sort of restarted and had elections and so on. Nobody would be like, well, that's not a nation. But in this context, the issue is being recognized as the same nation that signed the treaties with the United States, where there's that treaty relationship that, that holds them accountable. If that mm -hmm. nation disappears, that's like what you're saying. If it, if it falls apart, if we can't maintain our kind of integrity as a nation, you know, having elections, you know, all these kinds of things, sort of, you know, maintaining an established sort of form of government over time, that disappears, then they could be like, oh, you're not here anymore. That nation, you know, it's really complicated here, like in the, the Cherokee Nation, right, because there's, there's all these different components of it that are sometimes, you know, fighting with each other of who's legitimate, you know, the Eastern Band Cherokee, the Katua Cherokee, the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, and sort of, you know, one has more power, but one has more sort of uh, legitimacy in terms of continuity, like you're mm -hmm. saying, yes. you know, and all these things create all these dynamics, but it all comes from that, not just having a, a, a true government, you know, because a lot of tribal nations would split off and make different bands and like, oh, we're kind of, you know, not to, we're not in agreement on these things. Let's kind of split up and, and this group will go do this thing and this group will do this thing. Mm -hmm. It will be this new nation and this new nation over mm -hmm. here, right? Nobody cared about that. Yeah. But you can't do that anymore because of this kind of structure of recognition mm -hmm. in the U.S. government. And so that puts us kind of in a bind. That's not really fair, right, to our, you know, being able to thrive and flourish and, and you know, have relationships even with each other, you know, in complex ways. You know, it's all dependent on this kind of being recognized from the time of treaties as that nation that signed on the line, mm -hmm. right? Oh. Yeah. That's it's a crazy. hell of a timeline, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Short timeline, too, compared to, what, 200 years? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a lot of time. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not all, like it's all still brand new too to everybody. Cause this isn't really taught in, you know, the school system and uh, the native school system, meaning the nearby or the urban setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really don't matter. Right. You know, yeah. According to them. But it's, it's I mean, that's one of the, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I think, you know, education is so important for, 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 for native students. Right. Particularly like, I mean, everyone has their own kind of take on how it should be done, right? You know, some people just go and learn the system, mm -hmm. right? Learn how this, you know, I mean, obviously you want to know your history and your place in it, you know, and sort of, you know, know the system and, and how to be able to work within it and kind of try to make the best of yourself and your community through that structure that's there. But I think it's also important, right, to have, you know, schools that teach you know, like a lot of the tribal colleges, you know, that are really connected to, you know, the native communities that they're mm -hmm. situated in or situated near. Mm -hmm. And they teach not only just here's the laws and here's the constitution and here's this history, but they also teach it in, you know, teach the language and teach, you know, the way of seeing the world that, you know, even in a higher education way that sort of comes from those communities, right? And you see, yes. you learn how to, work that system not just in the white way as we would say right mm -hmm. but also through the history of you know your people and the ways of doing that you know indigenous resistance that's through indigenous forms of knowledge and being and ceremony and 
and so on, right? I think that's the most powerful form of, of education is what brings that all together, you know? Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things too within that case of you know, the regular normal business people too who meet with tribal councils really don't understand the form of discussion. You know, they, they think traditional ways are movie ways and you know, yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. of the, 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 the contact of, uh, you know, just greeting them, gestures. Yeah. And, you know, that's a whole different area that they don't understand or how to put an RFP together to meet yeah, yeah. with certain, you know, how to hit it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a big, you know, that's obviously a huge area, you know, of uh, of opportunity for for people to, you know, make that, you know, that knowledge known in in an appropriate way, you know, on all sides, right? To be able to build build relationships, understand the history, you know, be able to do sort of positive things engaging with communities you know across the across the spectrum you know so that's difficult too that's difficult too because there's so many tribes and you know certain areas that you're targeting i mean you have to it's a whole different country right (laughs) yeah 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 it's a whole different country yep you gotta know your constitution and bylaws around here which one remember remember in 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 in, uh smoke signals right Uh it's like you got your vaccinations It's like what? I'm just we're just going to we're just leaving the res. That's as foreign as it gets. (laughs) Got any questions? Mm -mm. I'm learning a lot from you guys. Oh, yeah, we're just BSing. I know to you guys it's like. This is what we did in the, This is but, what we did in the class when when Johnny was in my class. Right? Oh, this guy talked. This, this guy talked to me, not the class. Like, yeah, we had to. We had to like keep right. it. Yeah, right. yeah, we had to keep it under control because we just start going and like students would look around like you lost us, man. <laughs> like this is an intro. Yeah, this is an intro class. They were saying this is an intro class. This is on the test, all right? Like, sorry. Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back. All right, we'll start over again. <laughs> What were we talking about again? We'll put on a movie, then we'll go back to talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put on Thunderbird. Yeah. Uh, Thunderheart or Thunderbird? Thunderheart. Oh, man, I love that movie. <laughs> you know, um, this is great. I can't even remember what you were speaking on when... Okay, so for those that are, that are watching, um, when... Brian was teaching at the school. That's where um, I met Johnny at, and he was part of the um, ASA Club, American Indian Student Association. Him, not me yet. So him. Okay, right. (laughs) Before I met Johnny, and me just doing my research and trying to find, like, okay, where can I learn or where can I go? Um, I didn't know that that class was, like, a college credit course class, and then I'm just like, oh, can I – can I go? Can I? Can I come and join in? And you surprisingly said yes without me even knowing that. I was like, oh. Once I showed up, I was like, and looking for the class, I'm like, oh wait, this is on college college campus. Like, can I even wait? Aren't I supposed to be in roles or something? And then you let me just go, and I was like, oh my god, that was pretty cool. But I don't remember because I didn't understand. Like, I mean, now I do what you two are speaking on, but back then, like, I can't remember what you were speaking about um or maybe you guys were just speaking on um oh look who's that ready yeah it's ready <laughs> um, it might have been was it in that same because i think it might have been that same class that 
um, where the student drew the picture of me, right? Because it was like a, a law and policy class. Or was it, it just for the to? No, it was just a club. It was just a club. Oh, it was just a club. Yeah, now that I think Cause about we, it. Because we met out there. It was kind of in that lobby and we're sitting around. Oh, yeah. I, yeah that's yeah. where I remember meeting you for the first time. That's right. Before me. Just, before yeah, me. that was before. <laughs> before I, mean, I, knew, I, knew, I knew Johnny from Powwow. Powwow. You know? yeah. our, our, then he, our thing, when we first seen each other, we're like, hey, I know you. You know, oh, you know you. Yeah. We're like, like oh, I would go to school here. Like, to each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you know that he was teaching there? Uh -uh. Oh. I didn't know he was teaching like, Hey, I recognize you. I recognize oh, that's you. so cool. <laughs> just from Powell. Yeah, no one ever knew. I'm always kind of that way. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like, when I'm at the Powell, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just some guy singing here in the drum or whatever. Like, I'm not, <laughs> you know. And then they'd be like, what? Who? I've seen you, like, singing before. Like, now you're my teacher? This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happens. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me go. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll probably, probably like, I don't even know. That was like in 2011. Yeah, don't even start with your jokes. Like 1900 or something. From 1873. That's considered young. What we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's recent. Yeah, we 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 starting with uh, you know doctrine of discovery. <laughs> right here. Yeah. <laughs> It just oh, keeps happening again and again every time you discover. Yeah, that's what I I told that story because I'm always telling uh, I'm always telling you know trying to make turn these things into kind of funny stories to help people understand right. Mm -hmm. And so it was in my uh, it was in a philosophy class, philosophy of race class I teach. You know, so talking about the doctrine of discovery in front of my class, there's this um, Osage guy that was in the in the class in the philosophy department. And so I used his, him as an example in this, you know, because you talk about the, the <laughs> idea of discovery and how it, it only works one way. It's kind of racialized. It's not just mm -hmm. like anybody discovers anything, <laughs> right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, white European Christians discover, mm -hmm. you know, non-white indigenous people and Africa, the Americas, you know, all this mm -hmm. stuff, right? So I said, well, what would happen if, you know, our friend here, you know, got in his boat with his Osage flag, right? And just rolled right on over into the boat all the way to, you know, London, jumped out of the boat. No Osage person had been there before, put that Osage flag right there and said, Doctrine of Discovery, Osage <laughs> Nation, right? Like, how come that doesn't work? Yeah. I mean, it should work if this Doctrine of Discovery is a legitimate sort of mm -hmm. concept yeah. that is just like discovering, <laughs> right? Because he was the first, he would be the first Osage, let's say, to go and land on these shores. Mm -hmm. No, see, that doesn't count, right? Mm -hmm. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Once you think, once you start understanding these guidelines too, it's just like, damn, like there's so much stuff everyone got away with too back then. Even the laws now as they come up and the judicial system too of, you know, cases, right? Case by case. And you have yeah, to understand, yeah, yeah. okay, what happened back then? Okay, this is what happened. Okay, that's, that's the law. Okay, we got to stay consistent. We have to do it this way. It's that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah.
it's the way it is, man. And yeah, it's really it's really stressful. I remember. Uh, um, it's stressful. I remember yeah, my. It is. <laughs> it is. I remember my when well, my teacher, you know, um, Vine Deloria Jr., who wrote "Custer Died for Your Sins" and oh, "God yeah. Is Red" and stuff. He he talked about it. He said basically, you know, federal Indian law is just totally schizophrenic, right? Mm -hmm. And, the, and you, you can't study it in a rational way because it doesn't make any sense because it just changes any time it suits it yeah. to kind of get what it wants, right? So there's no real law. Like the law is supposed to be a coherent body of like, here's a doctrine, and then you build this other thing on that, and then you can understand how it all fits together, and there's the different sort of bureaucracies and the other things that are set up. And this doesn't, it's the, the map of it is just total chaos because, you know, it'll kind of go one way and it'll contradict itself, you know, just in order to, you know, maintain itself. Just like, mm -hmm. so for example, sovereignty is like this, right? Mm -hmm. So in one hand, when it's like, then the federal government doesn't want to take responsibility for something. We'll do it ourselves. <laughs> you know, then they're like, you're a sovereign. <laughs> take care of that, right? We're not doing anything. You're a sovereign nation. But when they don't want you to do something they're like oh wait doctrine of discovery you know a plenary power we're going to decide this for you right like so the, like, kind of like the cannabis laws that are in effect yeah <laughs> like that yeah that's a perfect example right they there. just flip it around depending on how they want it so they kind of have it this way where it's like they can eat have their cake and eat it too mm -hmm. and whatever they want to do they can pick a piece of the law and make it work for them. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're sovereign, take care of it yourself. It's not our responsibility. Uh, or it's like, we don't want you to do it. We're your true sovereign, so we're gonna fix it for you and we're gonna make yeah. it for you. So in. it's like, there's nothing to depend on. It's just like walking around on, you know, the waves or something, you know, it just sloshes around in whatever direction it goes and you can't really, you can't really follow the thread and depend yeah. on it. Right. And sometimes that's tough to depend on your tribe or Indian reservation or nation allotment, right? It all yeah. depends because you might have money to do certain things and you might not. So then there's yeah. different protocols, different stuff that goes on within the law of these guys coming into jurisdiction. And if your tribal council or tribal leaders, depending on who's in charge, isn't up for it and they go, okay, go ahead and do it then. Yeah. Um, it could be certain yeah. different standards. That's what's wild about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the allotment stuff is just crazy. You know, it's just, oh. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's it's important. Uh -huh. It's important stuff, you know. You get down to each one of these little little areas that seems like it's in the weeds relative to the story we were telling from the 1700s, 1800s. But really, there's a whole nother universe underneath yep. that. You just start with allotment, and that's the, all the kind of stuff that comes out of that that creates so many problems fractionalization and all this kind of stuff and then the various levels of title like you're talking about right if mm -hmm. you want to even if you want to um set up a business on a particular piece of land right mm -hmm. that's sort of indian land right in the broadest sense mm -hmm. well what kind is it is this tribal land like reservation land or is this allotted land that, that there's a kind of particular title that mm -hmm. an individual tribal citizen has in his or her name right mm -hmm. and all that stuff changes it changes how it's going to be you know, how you're going to be able to use that land right yes yeah, Tribal yeah it's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's another thing right? yeah and then out then there's all this stuff you know um going on out here with the 
with the McGirt decision, you know, um, that's sort of recognizing it started really with the Creek Nation. If you guys heard about this? No, I'm, I'm unaware of it. No. Go ahead. Um, so there's, um, there's a Supreme Court case that kind of was going on for a long time. They kept kind of pushing it back because they didn't really want to decide it. You know, one of those kinds of things that if you really get into it, it's there's nothing good from the perspective mm-hmm. of the federal government mm-hmm. and what it wants, right? But the, the, the issue was, you know, because here in Oklahoma, there was all of the, you know, the, the allotment and all this kind of stuff opening up of the territory, you know, the land runs and all that kind of stuff. In the process, there was supposedly, you know, a kind of uh, um, a, a process that disestablished the reservation territory for the tribes, right? Because Oklahoma used to be Indian territory. I mean, it was all different reservations for the most part, mm-hmm. right? And so in order to, you know, as much as, as part of this, like the government sort of creates all these bureaucracies to kind of take away stuff ultimately mm-hmm. or have from, from tribal nations. But in setting up those bureaucracies, sometimes they don't even follow through on their own practices, right? So <laughs> yeah. they kind of screwed up. Yeah. And they didn't really officially disestablish the Creek Reservation. Yeah. So this McGurk decision was kind of looking at that. And basically they decided that the, the Creek, and this probably follows for at least all the other sort of, you know, civilized tribes, as they mm-hmm. call them, right? So Creek, Cherokee, Choctaw, um, um, Chickasaw, Seminole. And those people, those, those tribes, you know, in the kind of eastern side of Oklahoma, by this McGurk decision, have at least criminal jurisdiction over their traditional territories, which are now like Tulsa, and like all this stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's just like totally shaken up, you know, the, you know, some of this kind of sense of the progressive history, oh. like away from, and it yeah, kind yeah. of flips back to like, wait, all of a sudden, like this whole thing is like legally a reservation. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Uh, I mean, it means things for criminal stuff because, you know, it's, there's no public law 280 here, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's, you know, that, that then separates out, you know, the federal government from the tribal governments in terms of jurisdiction over mm-hmm. those places. That really changes things in a dramatic way, you know. Okay, where does it go then? Where does it go if it's not going to the state or federal well, it goes law? to federal. It goes to federal, okay. mm-hmm. but you okay. know, then there's all this kind of complexity, right? And you uh-huh. you think about the various things that are in place, like the Major Crimes Act, you know, like okay. so. It just depends, just like anything else, mm-hmm. you know. Like you were saying, if you look at a, if you go down, drill down to a particular place of land, right? Here mm-hmm. it is. You know, what is this land? Is it public land? Is it state land? Mm-hmm. Is it private property? Is it tribal land? What kind of crime was committed on it? Yes. You know, was it a murder? Was Criminal it a murder civil. of a white person versus uh, an Indian? Was it a, was it a, you know, was it a theft from an mm-hmm. Indian to an Indian? You know, all these different things mean the different jurisdictions of tribal jurisdiction versus federal jurisdiction or in public law to 80 states, mm-hmm. state jurisdiction too, right? Yeah. So in a place where there's not the state jurisdiction, it just splits mm-hmm. between the feds and the tribe. Right. So what about Oklahoma? Right. Oklahoma's like freaking out. Though suddenly they lost <laughs> jurisdiction to half, at least in terms of those particular kinds of things for Indian on Indian crime or, you know, various things like that that are not covered by the various major crimes or different things like that. So it gets really but then it opens up a whole nother kind of can of worms, mm-hmm. not just a criminal, because it's then like, well, 
we decided this about criminal, well, what does that mean for statutory? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for, um, you know, other kinds of environmental things? And maybe it kind of just trickles down all the way that it kind of takes away a bunch of the power of Oklahoma to oversee these, you know, huge swaths of <clears throat> Oklahoma that, you know, now would fall back into kind of tribal jurisdiction, just like a res. Yeah, that's a hell of a follow-up, man. So what are they <laughs> seeking for? Who? Aren't, isn't, okay, so is it that the tribe is taking um, the city to court? Or, I mean, like... Well, what what happened, actually, it wasn't really either. The, the, the way this this case happened, the McGirt case went to the Supreme Court, was really about... Uh, I'm trying to who's remember. The, wait, the, who's the McGirt? Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to look up the. I just know it. Is it from a person the, or is it? Yeah. It, but it's, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So McGirt was. Uh, um, um, I mean, it was a crazy kind of case. I don't remember the details of it, but basically, it was kind of taking to court whether or not Oklahoma had jurisdiction over the crime, McGirt's crime. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and it was I really see. it was really kind of a horrible kind of thing. I don't remember the exact the exact oh. thing that that happened, what McGirt did. But it was, you know, kind of just asking this question about whether oh. there really was, you know, legal um, jurisdiction for the state of Oklahoma over this tribal citizen, oh. you know, committed this kind of particular crime. And the the um, Supreme Court found in favor of McGirt, right? That Oklahoma <laughs> didn't have jurisdiction because the reservation, the establishment of the the um, reservation hadn't been legally, you know, disbanded by the process the government set in place of kind of, you know, taking away that land, right? And the jurisdiction of it and establishing it as jurisdiction of Oklahoma. They hadn't really done that through a congressional act, right? the plenary power concept, all this kind of structure that the government set up to be able to take away these various things. Mm-hmm. They didn't really do what they, they gave themselves uh, the power to do. They didn't really do it, right? So now they're like, we well, didn't do it. That means it's, the sovereignty is there, just like what we call inherent sovereignty, yep. right? Which is basically the idea that whatever the government doesn't take away in any explicit way is still there from inherent sovereignty, mm. right? So they've got to kind of say, you don't have jurisdiction over this and write it down in a congressional act, put mm. it out there. Then oh, they can take it away from you. If they don't do that, then you still have it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Still there because it, it, it's inherent. And that and always happens. Kind of, and that always happens yeah. because of yeah. the, whoever's in charge of that. Yeah, can't write a basic letter or follow up. Yeah, this is basically, and this is basically what happened here, right? So then there's all this conversation, obviously, in Oklahoma, there's a lot of discussion about what this means and the future of, you know, kind of trying to push that into, you know, increasing the, the you know, the, the power of tribes to, you know, decide their own affairs and kind of have different kinds of jurisdiction over, you know, tribal land and so on. But also, other, it's making other people, it's kind of spreading a wildfire. Yeah, kind it's of a big deal, man. People are thinking there. about, hey, yeah, yeah. And even just like it's kind of like the what we're talking about with uh, Deb Hallen, right? Just this kind of like seeing a kind of sense of like something different, you know, than this long history of kind of the courts 
and the and the the, the courts, the legislature, the executive branch, all of these parts of the government kind of being used against us in you know over and over and over again to kind of see that flipped, like even the possibility, like well now we have someone who will really truly represent us in that in that position of power. Mm-hmm. What? You know, like all those people have just been trying to get us, right? You know, mm-hmm. now we're there, right? Just that kind of flip of like, yeah. like winning something, you know, even though maybe it's not, you know, it's not something that changes the whole thing, but it's something that is a real momentum changer, a kind of real shift. It takes shift. away that big gap of educating that person too. On yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big, sure. That's a big freaking thing. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, from the, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people even in the BIA that don't understand that. Right? Yeah, you know? that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying, man. Much Already. less the, the, the head of the, the agency. Usually that person is. Yeah, think about the people that have had that job before, you know, mm-hmm. in oh, the last know few them. years. Know the, ran- <laughs> the ranchers and the, you know, they, as much as they know about tribal land, they want to do everything to get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. They're all about opening up for oil and opening up for grazing and just kind of you know, making everything to the benefit of their kind of industry or their way of life and, you know, and not even trying to uphold, much less really understand, you know, yeah. what we're talking about, what we need, you know. And that's different in different places, like you're saying, like all the tribes all over the United States, even in Oklahoma, you know, very small kinds of places, you know, very remote, you know, to like big tribal nations with a, with a large kind of land base, like the Navajo Nation or something like that. And there's very different different environmental stuff, different, uh, you know, um, stuff having to do with building infrastructure in a large, massive place that's really remote and all the, you know, the, the what's there in terms of mm-hmm. extraction, whether it's timber or it's oil or coal or, yeah. you know, all those things are the very EIS different. reports. Yeah. Environmental reports and everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing, too, I wanted to transition over because I know you're the best storyteller, man, and explain <laughs> all these history lessons. And that's a lot to take in so far yeah. for our viewers and everything. And good, 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 though. Good to know. Um, you know, boarding schools is always a big, big topic. Um, tearful yeah. topic, also, yeah, yeah. with what grandparents went through, great yeah, grandparents. Yeah. And, you know, something to talk about is um, missing children, too, that were in it and that, yeah. and that got put on. So I'll let you explain a little bit or a lot, depending on Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on yeah. Because there's a lot, yeah. There's yeah, there's, there's, there's so much. There's so much there. And it's like you're saying, it's a really, you know, it's a really sad kind of history to even try to detail. But, I mean, it's very it's very important to be able to, you know, put put it out there to put it into words, you know, so people can understand some of the, you know, some of the pain even, you know, that's sort of behind the relationship, kind of emotional relationship that Native people have to the, to the federal government, right? So in the, in the, in, in the United States, something similar happened in, in Canada around the same time, you know, you have these uh, federal boarding schools that are started in the late 1800s, and they're started by the federal government, particularly as a way of kind of, you know, um, dealing with what they called savage Indians, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the Plains Indian Wars, you know, those um, those Indian tribes that were seen as still resisting, you know, the kind of 
the forced kind of enculturation and indoctrination of, you know, the sovereignty of the United States. But the way they could sort of uh, get rid of this kind of for the future was get them while they're young, right? Mm -hmm. So to get the babies and indoctrinate them into their place in the world, you know, so that they would never in the future kind of, you know, continue this uprising. They kind of would put it off through this more long-term strategy of assimilation and indoctrination. Right. So they started the, you know, the there's the famous Carlisle School, right, 1871, I believe, um, started by General Pratt, you know, was a Plains Indian War fighter and sort of practiced this kind of, you know, indoctrination stuff with um, um, in Fort Marion in Florida with, you know, Geronimo and the um, and, and Kiowa people. They kind of captured them during this these uh, Comanche and Kiowa people, Geronimo, a bunch of different people that they captured and kind of tried to indoctrinate them into, you know, the, the, you know, the United States is the kind of true sort of the, um, the true kind of civilized, you know, overseer. And so this kind of turned into the, the boarding school um, mission with this idea that he sort of had as a slogan of kill the Indian, save the man. Mm -hmm. Right. So you basically kind of get rid of Indian identity in order to save them from having to be exterminated. Right. You know, because if they keep resisting, we're going to have to just kill them all. Right. So mm -hmm. if we can get them to stop resisting by taking away their Indian identity, just kind of make them, you know, into kind of poor American citizens who will work, you know, jobs cleaning hotels and bathrooms and whatever, you know, kind of thing, just accept their place as the brown sort of people at the lowest rung of the ladder without any, you know, rights or land or sovereignty, any of those things, right? The so, nicest way to say it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that's why you're the one to explain it. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a lot worse than that. Yeah, right? so much hatred in that statement, yeah. but damn. It is, yeah. it is, right? It is. Mm -hmm. And so this becomes the kind of mission of these boarding schools. And and of course, it's really horrific, right? Both in the, in the, in Canada, it was run by the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. You know, they were run by, they were still state-sponsored, but they were run by churches. In the United States, they were run by the federal government, you know. And these schools, you know, would just try to do everything to eradicate your, as a child, your sense right. of identity, mm -hmm. right? So like your language, for one, like I always tell these stories, you know, just to get people in the mindset of this like imagine we're speaking we're speaking english right here imagine i'm six years old i'm like hello how are you this is all i know how to say i've got some words that's that's my life right and i'm taken away from my family i put on this train you know and just and you know taken all the way up to carlisle pennsylvania then i'm pulled off of this train and then i say hey what am i doing why am i here and you beat me right and I'm like, why are you beating me? And you beat me, right? You're beating me because I'm speaking my language, right? The only mm -hmm. thing I know, right? Because you're trying to take away, you know, and just rip away even your own sense of identity. But in this really obviously traumatic way, I mean, you think about what that would be like if you had to go through that, right? If someone did that to you or to your child, right? they just sort of took them away from you and tried to beat their sense of you're their parents and you're good and the things that you taught them are good and the language you speak is good. These are all kind of dirty, gross things you should never, you know, let out of your mouth again. And then, you know, after all this time, you send them home and try to 
got to flourish and function, even the ones that mm. survived, right? Because we know in a lot of this history, you know, not mm. only the kind of trauma, traumatization, right? Mm. But also the actual, you know, genocide, yes. right? I mean, the Geneva Convention even lists one of the pieces of genocide is the, 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 the wholesale taking away of children from a population, right, is a form of genocide just by itself. Mm -hmm. But also in the process of this, just, you know, I mean, you think about it, if you're one of the, I mean, we have a hard time imagining that you're a teacher in a school, like I'm a teacher, you know, people teach little kids or whatever, you know, like they're little kids. You're like, here's your lesson, Johnny, one plus one equals two, right? You don't like try to, you know, like beat them to death if they don't mm -hmm. understand that. Mm -hmm. But the way people saw native kids Right. These kids were like it was kind of like if you were trying to train a pit bull that had killed people. Right. And you're like, this is your last chance, Johnny, the pit bull. You bare your teeth one more time. You know, that's it for you. If you don't go along all the way with this and you show any resistance, we're going to put you down because, you know, that's how they saw them. It was like mm -hmm. your last chance to kind of become human. So they didn't see these little kids as human. They saw them as like savage yeah, animals that were bloodthirsty. And so any kind of recalcitrance, you know, little kids like, I don't want to learn one plus one equals two. You know, like you don't, you don't beat them to death. But that's what they did in a lot of these cases, right? They would sort of, you know, all kinds of horrible stories that we don't even need to go into. But mm -hmm. there was a lot of not just sort of abuse in the process of doing something that they thought was good for them. But mm -hmm. even outright sort of, you know, killing on mass scales, you know, you find this in a lot of places, particularly in Canada, through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a lot of these schools that have been shut down since 1994, you know, and even before that, they, they find sort of mass graves, you know, even in, you know, there in, in California at uh, Sherman, right, mm -hmm. you know, they, that, that school in the old days used to be in a different spot. Mm -hmm. Right. They oh. moved it down the hill. And part of the reason why they moved it down the hill, if you go up the hill where the, the original school was, there's a big old cemetery back there. Oh. Right. And nobody wants to go to school, even in the kind of new era of Indian education, where there's a lot of native people and native uh, um, native uh, curriculum in those boarding schools that exist in the United States. I mean, it's a it's a totally different kind of place. But you know, still, you know, you're sitting there look, you're trying to learn and mm -hmm. look out the window and see that all those, you know, generation of, you know, dead Indian children that didn't make it through the school, you know, like in, in, um, I think it was it, what, what the year was. So this was in Canada, early 1900s, 1905 or 1912. I can't remember the exact date, but there was a, uh, there was a, a doctor that went in under a federal, under, under a Canadian government study of the boarding schools. And he went through all the boarding schools and looked at, you know, the, you know, the health of the students. And he came out with a report. And that report said the survival rate was 50%. And he, I always sort of asked students, like, is that a school? Like, back at Cal State Northridge, they'd be like, if if you came to Cal State Northridge, you're your looking graduation at the brochure. Rate, your acceptance <laughs> you know, you're, rate. But even like you're looking at the brochure for Cal State Northridge. All right, let me see. 50% of the people die? Going <laughs> to this school next. That's a horrible that, that is a that's a death camp. That's not a school. 50% people that die in the school. That's not a school. Yeah. Right? And this is what you see in this, right? And so there's that 
there's that history, you know, that was just one year, right? And, you know, in the, already in the 1900s, you know, many, many decades after this had begun, right? So there's, you know, a, a lot of that stuff that's kind of been in the, in the background. In Canada, they shut them all down in 1994. They just shut down all the, the boarding schools. They're done, right? And this kind of was a part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, in the United States, it was a little different. Some of them shut down over time, and some of them were kind of, you know, because there was more and more kind of infiltration, just like Deb Howland, but in different mm -hmm. ways, you know, infiltration of, of Native people into the Bureau of Indian Affairs, into the Indian Education Department, you know, all those kinds of things, where they kind of started changing the paradigm, right? It's still not perfect, you know. I mean, if you if you went to a, a native boarding school today in the United States, some might be like, it was great. Some might be like, ah, oh, it was horrible. I mean, but it's, it's definitely, there's a lot more kind of native influence and kind of cultural, mm -hmm. you know, um, relevance and kind of a sense of respect for native students as people, at least a lot more than there was in, in these cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, still, it just has this really dark history that even if it's a lot better now, it's hard to separate out, you know, just like that Sherman example. It's hard to separate out those those bone that boneyard from the school down the hill where you're kind of trying now to learn about, you know, mathematics and so on, right? <laughs> yeah. Mathematics, bro. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's crazy you know. to even still see some of the buildings still up, or I know that by Johnny's reservation somebody lives in it that um right it's a child care yeah okay it was a child care mm -hmm. back mm. then and it's still there and somebody lives in it like it's just somebody's house one <laughs> i wouldn't want to live in yeah. that too like why is it still up or i'm sure everybody has their difference like um yeah, reasons yeah. as to why a building is still up but like um i thought it was pretty My crazy problem. when i learned about it too when, when johnny explained it to me like why some of the buildings are still up and um yeah yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I couldn't... It's different in different places. You know, it's kind of like I have a friend who's uh, um, who's working on this all through the South in terms of trying to um, deal with uh, famous lynching trees, right? Mm -hmm. So he's trying to kind of because uh, there's a lot of them that are in really prominent places, like right on in the on the Capitol steps of you know some place in Georgia. There's a lynching tree that like. 50 different lynchings took place on, you know, in the, and so there, but there's different kinds of things. Some people are like, we need to like, to, to set these aside and talk about them and look at the history of these. And some are like, just chop that thing down, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Chop it down, put it in a big bonfire, you know, poof, that tree goes bye-bye, you know? Uh -huh. So there's the same kind of thing with some of these, these buildings, you know, um, in terms of how people think of them differently. Think of, People think of them, you know, we just need to, you know, raise these and sort of, you know, you know, dig them up and, and you know, put something else there or just never go back there again because there's bad spirits there. Or, you know, we need to, like, you know, cleanse them through teaching about them. And, you know, like, you know, so there's a lot of different perspectives that people have, you know, in different communities about how to how to talk about this and how to deal with those those things that are still there, you know. Deep deep stuff yeah. yeah but we gotta we have to recognize it that's the the main thing for everybody too, yeah. to recognize it and understand it 
of the yeah. why and you know how it's getting better now if it's getting better now to some yeah. people because some people have a historic trauma in their bloodline too yeah um you know not knowing their culture not knowing the understanding of you know their own tribe because they got yeah. thrown in these schools or scared to talk about too yeah, yeah. yeah. it's true it's true that's <laughs> from michael down there yeah, yeah in the that. chat <laughs> <laughs> for the boy <laughs> yeah, okay. oh. you gotta participate with your audience um <laughs> i don't know what else what yeah. else is there we talked about a lot of good stuff Damn. Yeah. we don't want to um, make people's minds explode <laughs> it's only been what almost an hour, an hour? yeah yeah <laughs> got into the good stuff huh you're like my head is hurting Shit, my hair's falling out yeah let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about braiding our hair up real quick yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Let me change it up just for a little bit. How's the weather mm -hmm. over there right now? Because I miss the the snow and when it was um, tornado season. Yeah, yeah. Um, the weather is. I don't really mind the weather. The weather here. Um, I thought it was going to be. You know, because I, uh, you know, I grew up in Arizona, and then my my all my family lives in Colorado, kind of north of Denver. You know, and I haven't really lived in anywhere else, you know, like those two places, Nebraska a little bit. I mean, I went to school in Indiana for graduate school and then back to California. So I really didn't have any idea. I'm just like anywhere after living because I lived in California since 2004 when I finished school and then I started my first job out there. You know, so I lived out there, you know, 15 plus years. Um, so. I, you know, just thought in my mind, everywhere is cold, right? <laughs> you know, there's California and there's just cold places, the snow and freezing and you just die, right? But uh, it's not that bad here. Like the first year we were here, you know, we got like one little snowstorm. It was like that cute little snowstorm where it's like, you know, it's like snow comes and it's just everything's white and the dogs run around in it and you kind of, and then the next day it's gone, right? And so that's kind of how it's been, you know. I mean, it's it's sometimes a little cold for a few days in the 30s and 40s in the winter. But then it also will, you know, be like 50s, you know, even up to like 60, you know, something for for a few days in a week. It's it's not bad, right? The, the thing that I don't like, though, is the ice storms. Because I remember my mom grew up here, you know. My mom grew up here and, you know, our family's from a little place, you know, Jaybird Creek. There's not even a town on the map. Like you just look, there's a creek. It's kind of right near Westville. You know, it's kind of like probably trying to find Johnny's house or something. Right? You know, it's just like, where is it? Like, well, if you go down on Google Earth, like there's a tree right there, and then you can probably find it if you go. You know, pretty much. The Jaybird Creek. That's that's where my mom um, grew up, right outside of Westville. And she would always talk about the ice storms. You know, every time it would get like rainy, I didn't. You know, I never sort of even seen those things because. When we'd come out here, it'd be like tornado weather. I remember as a kid, you know, tornadoes and like, you know, going to my uncle's storm shelter, mm -hmm. like scared because, you know, like, oh, there's a tornado coming. They're like out there looking at it with the binoculars <laughs> or whatever. I'm like hiding out of the floor under a blanket, you know, like scared. I remember that, but ice storms, we were only here in the summer. We never had ice storms, right? Uh -oh. So the, we have had our, our share of uh, ice storms and our experience with it. 
this winter we had one just crazy just starts raining just raining and then it just gets colder and colder and the rain starts freezing and literally it's kind of like icicles coming down and it hits the trees and it freezes what about the hail what about the big oh (laughs) but these ice storms what happens is it starts breaking all the trees like big old trees just cracking in half right because they're frozen they're encased in ice and they've got ice this water gets on them just like a pipe and it starts just breaking whenever it it, it, heat, it, it, it heats up or it gets cold. And like, and it, we had no power for a week because like half, you know, like just trees all over down throughout the town, like pulling down all the power lines. It took them, they had like a hundred trucks in town <laughs> trying to like re-put the, put the power back together, right? And, and we were like, Luckily, you know, like we had our old, you know, our res stuff, you know, put up our little heater. And that's like, that's know, camping stuff for going. some people, but we're, yeah. we're res. That's our little yeah, yeah. stuff. I know. That's what someone asked. <laughs> someone asked me, my bro- one of my brother's uh, girlfriends a long, a long time ago, you know, because she knew that Brent, my brother, he lives in Switzerland now. But like, you know, where we grew up, you know, um, um. Indian, uh, um, Indian Wells, Delcon, Bitahochi, Arizona, kind of stuff, just north of Holbrook. Um, and she had like, you know, hey, did you guys ever go camping when you were kids? <laughs> like we thought, wait, that's all we did. <laughs> so I was like, I don't remember going camping. Like, well, what is camping? Like, well, you've got like no power. You have to go outside <laughs> to the bathroom. You know, you kind of cook on the gas stove. You got a fire. You use wood for 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 heat and cooking. I'm like, well, that's all we did. So I guess all we did was camping, right? That's my so, life. What do you mean? Yeah. So I never say camping stuff, right? Because the same kind of thing. It's like camping stuffs for people that could do that when they want to for right? fun. For fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> people that people that have to they have to live that way. That sort of thing. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. That reminds me, like when I first moved to the res with Johnny. I would always mm-hmm. tell him, I was like, um, oh, come on, let's go on a hike. He goes, what's a hike? And I said, come on, let's just walk up here. Or let's just follow a trail or something. He goes, that's just a walk. I'm like, no, it's a hike. He goes, no, we're, we're just walking. Up walking on outside. Yeah. I kept calling the hills mountains. He goes, those aren't mountains. Those are hills. I'm like, it's the same thing. He goes, no. Mountains are the, you know, the way bigger ones. One's the easier, hills. one's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So up until now, yeah, I, I, it's like an inside joke, and I, t- and I try to tell my friends, but I always like yeah. kill it for myself because then I have to explain to them what it means or why I say that. But yeah, they're, um, they're gonna get it. They're gonna get yeah, it. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I used to be into collecting um, stones because they have quartz up there. Yeah, yeah. And whenever yeah. we would go on walks, I would always like dig some up. And on every walk, we would always come back. I would always come back with a handful of stones, and um, I would come back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he would come back with the with the bigger with, ones. With the couple, with the couple. If he didn't yeah. drop them all. Yeah. <laughs> Those stones always getting away from you. Like, where was that guy? It was just in my pocket. Like, <laughs> I don't want to go with you guys. Oh, man. I was just chilling here on the mountain. He tried to take me away from my nap like spot. The, the biggest ones, man. And somehow I, I accidentally drop them. They get too heavy or something happens like within two minutes in. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That one got away. It's like in the, 
that's true like story. The, yeah, yeah. That's like there's a there's a there's this great movie that I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Like Dream Dream Keepers. Oh, that's a good. Have you one. seen this movie? Yeah, yeah with yeah, all the yeah. stories in it. Yeah. Right, and so that one of the things my favorite because you know like, you know I kind of think this way like trickster kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's the um throughout the throughout the movie there's these little vignettes little stories of Tome and Coyote that, mm-hmm. that are played by uh, um, John Trudell and Gary Farmer. The famous they play the, Yeah, <laughs> they play the um, the trickster. And there's mm-hmm. one, and it's this famous story, you know, where the, the, the Lakota story where the stone rolls over and smashes Tome, flattens him out, right? And mm-hmm. they kind of do that story where the stone is, they're running from the stone and coming down, <laughs> down, yeah. down the hill, they're like, <laughs> and then they're just like, <laughs> flattens him out. They're like, and then they're like walking around all flat. <laughs> <laughs> Got smashed by that stone. Dang it. Get the stone I hope so, man. Whatever's following us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Oh, let's go over your book, dude. This guy's a world famous author now. World famous. World, world famous. This is world my book. famous Uncle Brian right here. Yeah. What is it called? Indigenous Indigenizing what? Philosophy Through the Land. And like we were saying, a trickster methodology for decolonizing environmental ethics and indigenous futures. Mm-hmm. So it's kind I'll of like the link. I'll have the link in the description for you guys. If you guys want to check it out? Yeah, you can get it in different. You know, obviously you can get it on Amazon, different places. Um, some people don't like to shop through Amazon, but um, what are the options you, know, you have? Um, I put up the the one I found when I was looking. <laughs> Lou like Diamond Google, Phillips does his um, yeah. does his what do you call it with the book reading? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips. Chief Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> Wait, he reads his audio book. Yes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Brian, if somebody doesn't want to order through Amazon, what are, what other ways do you have? The 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 link that I gave to Johnny is through Google Play. Oh, okay. that's one. That was a different one, and it was actually cheaper than oh, what okay. was on Amazon, and also free shipping. So cool. the link that I made was through a different one. But people can always find it on Amazon. There's lots of different, you know, like anywhere where they have books. Okay. And even like Target, Walmart, all those places you Whoa, can. Oh damn, this guy, yeah. man, worldwide. Yeah. See, I said worldwide. Yeah. I mean, you don't believe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's out there. <laughs> you know, few people have read it. Some people read it. People, some people read it in uh, um, Sweden in a class, wow. in a philosophy wow. class. And so this last uh, um, semester, maybe like a, maybe it was about a sometime in november i uh, um zoomed into their class oh, like wow. it was like five in the morning at my time right to people <laughs> their class and i'm like i'm all like weary i my like oh, you're like what are you what do you guys being one of those students <laughs> you being like, like the you, student that's why you joined the class not even even in i was wide awake <laughs> but it was cool that's like have you know like students asking questions about this book halfway across the world they read it and i'm like Asking questions, you know. Sometimes they ask it's you like questions, or was yeah. it to their? Oh, cool! It was to me. Like I joined oh, wow. their class just like this, while they were, while oh. they were reading. They had read the book, and so they were asking me all these questions about it. Because sometimes it, you know, like, I mean, you think about this. Like, what really happens is, you know, you just write something, and you know, it gets published, and you still don't think that 
anyone ever reads it. You know, it's not like, oh. you know, these aren't books that go on the bestseller list or something, you know, they're, they're kind of technical academic books, you know, so you don't really even think. So when you find people that are reading it, you know, from, from somewhere far away, you know, you know, it's like, uh, gotcha. that's pretty cool. And yeah, I, I have like good questions, yeah, good questions to ask about it. And, you know, like makes you feel like maybe you're getting a, um, you know, you're having a impact, you know, in some small way, you know, getting people to think about things in a different way. Congratulations, though. That's a big That's, deal, man. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. am. That's good. So I've got a lot of other things in, in the works. You know, this <laughs> book was kind of just like one of the things that I kind of had to had to get out, you know, like you got to get something out sometimes, right? You mm -hmm. know, that's sort of Let's like hanging with you for a long time. And it's sort of like this because this was a lot of, like I said, that I, you know, had a, a, a lot of uh, um, experience with Vine Deloria Jr. It was kind of my mentor in graduate school, you know, you know, talking to him and kind of working on stuff with, with him, you know, in the last years of, of his life. And uh, so this book was almost kind of like my kind of like, you know, getting, getting all that stuff out. I learned from, from him in terms of what I, how I put it all together and like, you know, so it uses a lot of, uh, you know, it uses a lot of the same examples that he did that are kind of Lakota examples. Mm -hmm. Even the trickster in it is like Iktome, the Lakota spider trickster and some of those, because it's kind of like trying to get all that, get out that stuff, that good stuff that I learned from him, you know, to kind of, you know, um, say what I have to say, you know, in that kind of context. So. And you could explain good, man. You, <laughs> you're the man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I guess it's sort of like, you know, um, um, sometimes you just, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what, what, what it is like. I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's kind of a part of, of, of native tradition, storytelling and stuff and like just really, you know, explaining stuff, not in just like putting it in a formula, but putting it into a story, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the stuff that comes really easy to me. And that's sort of like, it's, it's a little bit harder writing you know because for me it's like it's it's visual and experiential it's like telling the story and it's kind of on the spot mm -hmm. like half of the stories that you know that i tell over and over again in class the first time i told it just like came to me like on the spot in a class like mm -hmm. i'm trying to explain something you know i'm like okay here's a doctrine to discovery all right, think about it like this. And then like I tell some story and I make it up and I kind of make it, you know, mm. and, you know, waving my hands all around and doing funny voices. <laughs> and it just comes natural to me. It's not like, you know, it's not something you learn in sort of academic, you know, teaching. Yeah. You don't learn that kind of stuff. But that was just, that was the stuff I had already, you know, mm -hmm. that I brought to it from my own personal experience. And I love that stuff. That's what I love about teaching, right? Yep. That's why I get so much out of it because it's kind of, for me, it's not just writing something, you know, I try to do that. Sometimes maybe I get gotten better at it over the years of kind of doing it when you're writing something that you can really like make it come alive. When you read it, you kind of feel it, but that's harder, but like doing it in the classroom where you just like turn it into a story and you explain it and you kind of like, how would it feel to you? You kind of put yourself in the spot and you kind of have that experience. That's, that's the thing that, that makes it, you know, exciting for me and something that, you know, it's worthwhile, I think. 
And if somebody wants to write their own book or publish it, um, was it an easy process for you? Or what would you recommend for somebody to do or any advice? Yeah, um, it kind of depends in the, in the context of um, academic, academic publishing. Um, oh. It's pretty challenging, right? Yeah, oh, okay. it's because in, in academic publishing, you go through a kind of you know, like this one th went through Michigan State University Press, their um, American Indian Studies series. So you can see the, there's the little turtle. Okay. And Michigan oh. State Press. So they got a series of kind of American Indian Studies books. And so that goes through a kind of pretty rigorous review process where oh. you kind of submit a book to that, you know, to, to a particular, a lot of times they'll even, you know, if they're interested in your book, if you know oh. you have something, you're working on something, you know, they'll kind of ask you to submit a, a, a prospectus or something, a proposal for a book. Then, you know, they go through all this kind of more rigorous review process. And so oh. it's more, I mean, it's still, you know, no matter where you're publishing a book, if you want to publish a book, even like you're going to publish a, um, some stories or you're going to publish a book like, you know, something on the, you know, there's lots of books out there, even in native studies that are just, you know, not academic presses, you know, mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, history books that are kind of more relatable or kind of talking about a particular issue like boarding schools or even tribal law that, you know, that, that, that people write. But if you're, if you're going through a, a, a publishing house, that's like a big, press you know penguin press or whatever you know these sorts of things it's really all about the bottom line right because it's about selling that mm -hmm. book it has to be uh, something that's marketable mm -hmm. whereas in the academic press it's not really about you know because like i don't get any money from these books right you know oh, you it's know? no oh okay it's just all kind of you know going to you know the, the books are meant to be sold to libraries for classes for other research mm. you know so it's kind of oh, okay. it's kind of a non-profit basically it's kind of like all that you could call the maybe i don't even know if it really is technically non-profit you know but they don't make a they don't they don't have a bottom line where it's all about just how much how many books they sell and how oh, much okay. money they they get at least that doesn't go into the process of deciding what book to yeah, you know book which to book to pick mm -hmm. yeah it's more kind of about uh you know the reviewing it academically oh. right but so that makes a difference if you're trying to you know if you're trying to do something through a through an academic press versus a uh, um bigger press sometimes people like like in canada there's a lot of uh, um smaller presses that are kind of um not academic presses per se mm -hmm. that that publish a lot of really good um um, stuff like um, Sean Wilson's book called uh, um, oh, what is it something knowledge is ceremony it's something or a research is ceremony it's called research is ceremony and um, that is something like uh, I can't remember Fernwood Press or something like that it's not even academic press mm -hmm. you know but it's sort of so there's sometimes in between places that people can publish stuff that isn't like going to the, the Oxford University Press, the big okay. kind of things, or like trying to go to Penguin, you know, with the thousand paperbacks, you know, with the, you know, like the romance novels or whatever kind of, there's things that are in between Damn. that people can, <laughs> people can publish some good stuff without, 
you know, okay. going through the whole. That's that's what I don't know that much about all of that stuff, but that's you know at least what I can share. That's hopefully oh, helpful. Okay. People are thinking about cool. trying to write something. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, a lot of if you want to write something, the place to start is kind of online, right? To to oh. either start your own blog or like there's lots of blogs that are already kind oh, of established yeah. in mm-hmm. an area. I mean. My my daughter sort of started when she was even young, like writing a lot of like fan fiction stuff online or even like blogs about anime or things like that. I mean, you can find whatever it is that you want to write about. You can find places to kind of try your hand at it and see if you got the chops. Cool. Yeah. Um, so before we like, before we end it, um, let's see. Uh, what would you say to anybody that wants to? Um, I know you want to um, encourage other Indigenous Native people to pursue education or get involved. Um, I mean, do you want to share some advice or why? It's important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for for sure, right? I think that. Um, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to, there's a lot of different ways to go. Um, and there's a lot of different things that are important in that, in that context, right? Even for, you know, even beyond just like going literally to a place of higher education. I mean, I think those things are, are really, really important. Um, but it's not really about oftentimes the place that you go, like it's prestige, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to leave my community and like go to Stanford or something like that. For some people, that's really important. You know, if you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to, um, you know, you want to become a, 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 a doctor and like, you know, work in a big sort of, uh, you know, medical hospital somewhere or what, or do research on, you know, curing cancer or whatever, you know, having those kinds of things really help. But the most important thing is, you know, is just finding a place to continue your education. And the first place to kind of do it for, for Native people is kind of just in your immediate setting, right? Your elders, your family, your community, that's like your base of education, right? Where you've got to, you know, where you're from and you've got to kind of keep yourself grounded and rooted in, right? So that's where, from my mind, that's where it always kind of starts from and comes back to right and then you can look there's more that i can do there's more that i can learn that i can bring back that i can do whatever it is that that you're drawn to whether it's sort of you know working in law or in education or business or whatever it is there are things that you can get out there um and it doesn't you can get those things in lots of places you know you can get those things in the tribal colleges you know you can go you know right there on you know Pine Ridge Reservation, you can go to, you know, um, you can go to um, Ogallala Lakota College, you can go to Sintagleshka, you can go to Sitting Bull College, you can go to Diné College, you know, you can go to those places and you can, you don't have to go somewhere far away, you know, that's like UCLA or something like that to be able to get, you know, what, what you, what you need. And Sometimes it's a matter of even starting there, right? When you start with something, you know, you get what you need and you move, you move forward. Sometimes you start somewhere and then you can't stop. That's kind of what I did, right? So I just went, my first college 
was a community college, right? I was living in Greeley where my mom's in a, you know, um, lives there now still. And I went to Ames Community College, right? Just down the street, just like, oh, I'll take some classes. I don't, I don't know what the school thing is that everyone's <laughs> talking about. Like, I'll give it a try. And then it just stuck. That beginning right there. Yeah. (laughs) Then it just stuck. And I I went to, you know, went to undergraduate in Colorado and then I went to graduate school in Indiana, just kind of kept going. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that happens and you just kind of, you got to find your, your path through there and, you know, balance all those things. Right. Education is important, but the context of where you're, of your, of your relationship, your family, your, your place in the world and your connection to that, you know, those things are what sort of hold it all together, balancing those things, right? So sometimes, you know, you have to travel far away to be able to get what you need and then come back or bring it back in mm-hmm. some way. And sometimes you have to bring it back in, in different ways, right? You know, so you go, you leave the res and you go to college and you become a lawyer and you go and you um, you work in the Supreme Court, right? to help your people back home, right? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways that you can do it. It's not just about coming back and making a business at home or something like that. There's all sorts of ways mm-hmm. to, to bring that back, to make a difference. But thinking about that circle is what's the real important thing to me, kind of, you know, you move it forward in some way to get what you need from, from these institutions, you know, but it's always connected to what you have at home, the knowledge base that you have, in your community and your people and your land and those things. How am I going to make this work for that in some way? Right. And how much of this do I need and how much, how much of it is maybe too much. If you're just going there to get all this stuff and you lose track of those, those connections and those things that are really important. And it's all just about you going and working on wall street and making a million bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, whatever (laughs) we can do that, but. Um, Okay. Now, I have a follow-up question for both of you. How was it leaving your home or going to college, like, so far away? Like, um, I'm sure you guys had your struggles, but how did you guys overcome that, um, just being away from home and um, being a minority in these mm-hmm. big colleges? Um, how did you guys deal with it? Or what do you guys recommend for other um, people going through this? Yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a huge thing, right? And I mean, I've thought about that a lot, you know, my own experiences. I mean, I think that's what a lot of us do, the things that we go through, you know, we try to think about how we can make those things better for the people that come after us, mm-hmm. you know? So just the, the difficulty I had in going to school, I mean, I first started to school in Nebraska, I went for like a, almost a year, dropped out, you know, like, just all that kind of stuff you're talking about, just feeling really disconnected, not understanding why I was doing it. I didn't have a place or a purpose, you know, I was just kind of doing it because other people were doing it and Uh I didn't last. Right. So then whenever I kind of finally found a reason to do this and kind of, you know, went through it, you know, with that purpose in mind, you know, then like when I was in a place to try to, to provide something for other people, like at at Cal State Northridge, like trying to find, you know, to keep to keep students to come, you know, connected, you know, to give them a place to kind of feel comforted, to kind of come together and have mm-hmm. a home base there mm-hmm. that, you know, reminded them of home and not just a faraway place that, you know, didn't have the things that, you know, that connected them to that and places to kind of think about, you know, why am I doing this and what's the importance of this, right? So those are the things that 
that I think about. What about you, Johnny? Yeah, for me, it was I wanted to leave the reservation. I've always been there, and you know, I was one of the few that took my full ride scholarship for my tribe because that's what they give us. Yeah. Uh, played football, went down to Moore Park College on a Moore Park City in Ventura County. Yeah, I remember that. And I graduated there with my AA in business management. Always wanted to do business. Always mm -hmm. wanted to be a tribal leader. Accomplished. <laughs> and oh, then, yeah. Um, yeah, transferred over to Cal State Northridge where you met, Brian. met Brian and then stayed with, this, stayed with this one. <laughs> <laughs> stayed with this one. Got kicked out <laughs> with my with my 1.9. So then I said, "Up, oh, where am I going now?" And then chose Oklahoma State University and graduated from there with my bachelor. So Boo. obstacles, obstacles get in the way, but like cowboys, <laughs> but man, I overcame it and got it, and then came back. Look at this guy. <laughs> You gotta get the We ride around on our, our little scooter and fall off. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a challenge too, and then coming back and Okay, wait, wait, wait. But how going through that did you oh well you went to powwows that mm -hmm. helped you, right? With Pow like not feeling um stable, getting yeah, stable, okay, yeah, get me on the go. red road. Yeah. You know, kept kept me going basically. So that was one thing that you did going to Powell's. Winning um, the competition, getting the collecting bank. You bail up gas along with home. another few others. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it was and then coming back to the reservation and teaching too and being yeah. and being elected one of the youngest tribal leaders there. Uh, at the age of 25, and then now I'm doing this business here. I mean, education goes a long way too, but financial education, I try to push on the younger generation. That's a long, that's, that's a real one, along with tribal education and yeah. learn the system and the rat race. That's all it is, man. And then, I mean, once you understand it, you know, what's the purpose of life comes out, comes out, comes to a point of, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> I think that really helps like in 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 <laughs> LA places like that where there's where there is a kind of community uh, intertribal community mm -hmm. like around the powwows right that gives you kind of a second home mm -hmm. you know so that's the one of the things that I thought about too that's why I started the you know like at at CSUN the Northridge uh, boys drum right mm -hmm. you know kind of like you know flipping the circle back around right so you got powwows and then you've got Cal State mm -hmm. Northridge and then, like, we'll take a drum from Cal State Northridge and go around to the powwows, right, to kind of, you know, extend in that circle of the mm -hmm. community there and kind of trying to draw connections for people, you know. Because that right, makes a big difference it. if you leave the res and you're going to L.A., but you know a lot of people there. You can go down to Moore Park one time. You can go to, to Cal State Long Beach another time, and there's a powwow and all the people that you know. You know, it's not like you're away from home in the in the just all by yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of students, you know, imagine someone coming from, you know, some small town here in Oklahoma and going to New York City to go to mm -hmm. Columbia or something like that. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't know anybody where, you know, maybe you try to find a Indian center or something. You know, it's not like there's a whole community there that you're already connected to and you know and yeah. you've got all these different powers to go to every weekend. I mean, things like that really kind of help oh, yeah. make that transition right so mm -hmm. that you can 
you can have an extended family still, you know, yeah. places that you're at. Because I think that's really what it's all about. It's like for, for Native students in particular, like to, you know, to have that place of community and family, you know, that because that's what that's that's what home is. Right. That's why mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people stay on the reservation, even places where it's really depressed and they're not able to you know, get jobs or kind of, you know, the economic opportunities are not really mm -hmm. there or not really being put together. And, you know, it's kind of going the other direction. People stay there because they've got they've got that, that support, that connection, mm -hmm. that community, that family. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so if you can't find ways to build that in other places, you know, then you're going to have a hard time keeping Native students there, at least on a on a larger scale, you know, to mm -hmm. be successful, to get all the way through and finish, you know, not drop find, out. Like, or find a native club to yeah. jump in. There, would you say that they're in every college? I wouldn't say they're in every college, but there's probably, I mean, you know, there's, there's, they're, they're, they're pretty much everywhere. Yeah. I think that sometimes they're pretty small and, so they kind of aren't there one year and then someone put them oh, together the okay. next year. Mm -hmm. They're not the kind of consistency, you know, like a place here at OU or OSU where they've got a lot of Native students and, mm -hmm. you know, they've got, you know, you know, decades and decades of all kinds of different mm -hmm. clubs and organizations, you know, all over the university. Yeah. But most places you go, you can find something, you know, it might be pretty yeah. small, but at least there's some other people that you can, that's what it was at like Indiana University. I did the same thing. Like there was a little club, mm -hmm. right? And I sort of went to it, you know, and there was like three Navajo students. And then uh, um, Marty, what's his name? Marty is a Halawasaponi. He's like a singer, um, a power singer, really cool guy. I haven't seen that guy in forever. I got to find him. Everybody's on Facebook. <laughs> but, you know, like just a small little group of, you know, some, mm -hmm. some freshman, sophomore Navajo students, this other guy, Marty, who was a graduate student, myself, you know, like we just hung out, you know, like you find something, you know, build mm -hmm. something. And you're like, well, it's, there's the five of us, you know, what can, <laughs> how can we build? And then like by the time I was there, um, Wesley Thomas came in, who works now at uh, Diné, or I think he works at, I can't remember one of the Navajo schools, um, but he came in and, you know, was a, a professor. And we the, that year he was there. We put on the first IU powwow, and they've had nice. that powwow. It's a big one. They've had it since that was like maybe two thousand two or three, and that was the first year we started that. But you know, you just build stuff like that. Then more mm -hmm. students come, and you know, you gotta, <laughs> yeah. It's a or, lot of work. you know, yeah, that reminds me. Or just have your braids, <laughs> and then have somebody else like see it, and then you'll be like, hey, hey. You got braids, I got braids. Are you? Yep, I am. You okay? And then you become friends. That's what happened with him and, and one of our other friends. No, like well, all of my friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, no, nah, bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Not you. Not you. <laughs> no, I'm lying, Glace. Just walk away. Huh? But yeah, that happens all the time, man. Huh? Yeah, it's true. That's like even around. CSUN just like me wearing the braids every day like people would people would remember me you know they kind mm -hmm. of stand out like you know the people know what I am you know like mm -hmm. I look like a you know pretty light-skinned guy with these braids you know like what 
what you what are you all about? But people would remember me, like, hey, this guy, I know this guy. Right? <laughs> so then like I tell them, oh, I'm right here at Native Studies, you know, like it's kind of my own little marketing campaign. Or <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Okay, did you guys have anything else to share? Do you want to throw anything else out there, Brian? Before we cut um, it short? No, I, I don't. I think that's that's good. Yeah. It's been fun. You close it out. No, you close it out. <laughs> <laughs> we said Okay. Well, thank you, Brian. We appreciate it. We're honored that you're able to come on here. Have, teach. <laughs> spill, some, spill some tea. No, but um, thank you for joining us on our Talking Stick. Um, mm. Hopefully we could do this again. This is very fun. Maybe we could touch, touch on, on a different subject. Um, mm. Maybe share more of your book. Um, anything you want to throw out there. And um, yeah, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. Thank you, yeah, everybody else, for joining us. Do you want to finish up with something, Brian? No, just good. It's really good to see you all. That's, you know, it's like, Damn. I feel like... <laughs> It's been a while. It's been a minute. It has. Oh. It has, man. I feel like I'm hanging out with y'all. Like, you know, like it's old times or something. We're hanging out <laughs> at a powwow or something. I know. Going to a powwow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John Wayne's tea. John Wayne's tea. <laughs> oh, man. Two kids now, huh? Two kids. Yeah. You got to yeah. see them now. The more the, the, more the merrier. That's it. Like, no, 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 no. Two is enough, all right? Yeah, that's a lot, man. Yeah. One was, I thought one, okay. over you. Yeah, no, two, two is enough. The second one got lucky because I didn't want Yunessa to play by herself. So then I was like, okay, yeah. let's just have another one. We were shooting for the boy and we got a winner. Yay. And we got a boy and a girl, so yeah. So nice. enough for Cap to last. Yeah, perfect. For our retirement. <laughs> Yeah, my mom, she 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 had uh she kept wanting to have a girl, the opposite. I was born, my little brother, uh, you know. And she she finally adopted my sister Rosemary um uh, because she wanted to have a girl so bad and you know, she had had um two boys in a row and it didn't look like, you know, by that time that she could have any uh, more. She's like, I gotta have my girl. So <laughs> So she adopted a girl. And then we then I've got my parents did uh, foster care out oh, there cool. in, in uh, Arizona, and so like I've got like a hundred different brothers and sisters through cool. that because we had so many, you know, we had so many, you know, kids come through there, you know, over the over it's the many nation years. Right there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, lots, yeah. Of lots of relatives. But we can talk on that next time. Yeah, the foster okay. system. No, the Iqua case, Texas, man, that was a big deal. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's rough. Okay, say All hi right. to Sarah for me. Yep. I will, I will. She was actually on here. I saw her. Uh, oh. She's on. She was on Why here. Why just point. walk in? No, because she was <laughs> yeah. teaching her, her Spanish. I think she's still on her Spanish, and she was oh. going on the side, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I saw a little Spanish. thing where she hearted. She hearted something, right? And I think so. I think she was on here for a minute. Oh, don't heart at you on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on. Like, let me see. You know what? Got it. It's oh, probably okay. in their flyover country. That's her. She made this other Instagram that's kind of uh, she was doing for all of her the br bread she was making and like she was putting up some of my silly art that I was working on. Oh, there she is. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
So we you were listening. Like, so she was listening. <laughs> Damn. Did you hear us? Yeah, good to see you guys. You too. Right. Dog's gonna bite her. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck up on you there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Okay. All right. Good Thank you again. Thank you, everybody right, that joined too. in. We yeah, saw. Bye. 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 All right, man. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you like this episode number three with Dr. Brian Burkhart. I'll have the link of his book in the, in the description below. Later, y'all. 10% off code talking stick at oitclothing.com. We'll Got see, you guys. We'll see you next week. Later, bros.